You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're getting right to the edge of the NBA regular season, and all eyes are going to be on the Nets. I'm still out, but I may not be the only one that's out on seeing the Nets win it all. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, and we start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Sarah, look, uh, you know, there are a few things that have been more sort of polarizing in the opinion panel uh, than the New, the, the New York, the Brooklyn Nets, as we look at this year's NBA season, partially because... You know, certain people on that team named Kevin Durant chose the Nets over the Knicks, partially because James Harden, as you have said in the past, forgets how to basketball in certain spots in the playoffs. It's easy to find reasons to root against some of these individual personalities. Kyrie seems to choose who he wants to talk to, when he wants to talk to, no matter what the collective bargaining agreement says. It's easy to find reason against this. But realistically, this is a Nets team that's had very little time together, which raises a real question of how the rest of the basketball world would react act if with no continuity and nothing to bring them together they just rely on one thing talent to win them a championship with not with no need for a regular season yeah if it's the biggest question since this super team was even uh floated about as a possibility was where are you getting your defense right it's been better than when we expected it's been better when they're together and when certain guys are on the court but we do not have a big enough sample size of their big three together to really know in a postseason series whether their offensive fireworks are enough to make up for what will be inevitably still defensive lapses, even if it's not as bad as we thought. Early on in the season, it felt like they would be breaking NBA records for any team to have a certain amount of success with the defense as bad as it was. I don't think we're quite at that level still, but again, you you got a, a James Harden who says he's hopeful that he will be back before the postseason, get some some time under their belt. He's talked about other teams that have more experience together in past seasons, even in this season. And instead of keeping that energy of, yeah, I hope to be back. We need to get some more time together. You know, we believe in ourselves, but it'd be nice to feel a little bit more ready to go before the postseason. He chose violence instead. And if anybody didn't already like the Nets, he sure didn't help today. Because he said he feels pretty good about their chances despite not having a lot of time together because they have talent and no one else does. As much as I love the hoop, like I want to be out there. I, I want to be out there. But you got to be smart. And, and for me, it was just, all right, let's, let's knock this thing out. Let's get this thing healthy so we can make a push. One of the things that a lot of teams don't have is talent. You know, so we, we don't have to worry about that aspect. But skill wise, we're we're elite. So I'm not. That's not my. You know, I'm not worried at all. Um, it's going to be very, very difficult for teams to beat us. Woo! I mean, the level of self confidence <laughs> in that. You know, one. Te- a lot of teams have you know belief, but they just don't have the talent that we have. Like that, just. It feels gross when you hear it. I'm sorry. It just feels gross to hear somebody say that at any level. And it only feeds into the narrative of the easy thing to root against. Like, I would, my counter to that would be all right, Mr. Harden. Uh, last time I checked, Houston had talent too. How'd that work out for you in game seven when you couldn't hit the broad side of a basket? I mean, like, there's some level of talent is a great piece to what you have to have. But haven't we all learned that the rest of it does matter at some point, Sarah? Yeah, I mean, that's a big question to have it. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. How much have the, the, the failures or at least not living up to potential with Houston 
taught Harden that it goes beyond talent or that it goes beyond uh, the whatever precedent you set in the regular season. Um, they have been great when they have the big three. When they don't have Harden, they haven't been very good. And we know that as great of a player as Harden is, he can disappear in big games. Like you said, I, I call it forgetting how to basketball. So if he's injured or if he's just having a bad night, I don't know that this team can survive that, particularly with the question marks on defense. So so much of this has been, well, as long as they're healthy and they're together, we don't even really know what that looks like across a large enough sample size because people are going to point to the to the regular season meetings with their biggest opponents and none of those really provide any context because they haven't been with everybody healthy. So I don't honestly there's a lot of choices that James Harden makes that I don't agree with and if you're if you're a Nets fan I'm sure you love that confidence but you're given a whole lot of bulletin board material to teams that probably already don't want to see this team succeed. We can have a bigger conversation about whether it's bad for the league for this team to win this year, but I know a lot of players around the league looking at missed games, COVID protocol breaking, forcing your way out, cupcake stuff, arguing on social media, flat earth, like all the stuff that swirls around them, whether a lot of people like them as people I don't know if that's the team that you want standing for what success looks like in a league. Well, and to that end, Stephen A. Smith uh, today, and obviously you see him on first take, and you can also check out Stephen A.'s world on ESPN+. Plus. He was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin this morning on ESPN Radio and made it clear what he's hearing about what people in the league want. We know how great KD is. He's a champion. We know how phenomenal and box office Kyrie Irving is. He's a champion as well. But you've been waiting to see the big three, and you've only seen them for seven games. And so you have people throughout the league that don't want them to win because they think it would be bad for basketball. (laughs) Because if they were to win, then guess what? It minimizes the importance of the regular season because the number of games that have been missed, mm-hmm. all right, the emphasis on practice and things of that nature and all of this other stuff that God's going to bring up. You're going to have a rippling effect where people are even paying more attention to preparing themselves for the playoffs. They ain't going to prioritize regular season games. They ain't going to prioritize playing together it's and the cohesiveness standard. of it all and all of that stuff. And I think it's a legitimate argument. Now, precedent seems to be a mm-hmm. common discussion that we have across all of sports. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. And you think about the precedent that is constantly, I mean, load management at one point seemed to be uh, this epic thing that nobody wanted to deal with. Then precedent was set and you saw what it did for some teams and some players and you see how the league adjusts and adapts. If if you can just build the dream team and not need them to play any games together and you can go through all of this chaos and still win a championship, there is a fair question of whatever precedent that actually sets in the process for everybody else that's watching it go down, Sarah. Yeah, we know that this team is not like everyone else. And and most teams would not have the hubris to look around at their roster and say, we can do what the Nets did, understanding the big three that they have. But... It's not a great look for the NBA if the winning team is one that has had any number of vacancies at the highest spots due to personal choice in some cases and then injury. Um, You know, I, I usually hate the broad brush of is this bad for the sport conversation, but I do think there's some depth here to this one, which is it's a it's a kind of super team of guys, one of whom forced his way out of a contract that he got a ton of money for and was very early in, in order to place himself somewhere he wanted to be. There were a lot of absences. There's a lot of question marks. There's COVID protocols broken. There's a whole lot around this team that just makes it a little bit less savory than 
say, a Milwaukee Bucks team that you could say got real close and then figured out how to add the right pieces is a smaller market, like all that stuff, right? Or even a Lakers team that has, you know, some shine to it. The Nets team, uh, I think that there's a fair reason to believe that some folks at the league wouldn't think that was a great choice to to win it all. By the way, I'm just going to geek out for one second while we're talking about the Nets. This might be the nerdiest thing I've ever said in our show history, Sarah. I know. That's a, as uh, yet again, uh, Kyrie fined for not speaking to the media, which again is collectively bargained and he has to do as part of the union he's a part of. But either way. As part of his statement, he loves to use the phrase, I do not talk to pawns. He used it again, referring to the media Mm -hmm. as pawns. My attention is worth more. Just my quick reminder, yet again, my dad was a chess champion. Uh, Anybody that's ever played chess will tell you, if you want to be great at it, one of the most important things you can do, learn how to play with the pawns. If you really want to win at the game of chess, be great with your pawns instead of ignoring your pawns. Makes you better. See, Kyrie yet again, just a little bit off with his analogy. I'm just straight geeking right now. Straight talk wireless, <laughs> no contracts, no compromise. Okay, coming up, everybody's wondering what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers. Well, one of his former teammates has given a clue on what he thinks. You'll hear it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. I'm telling you. You moron. You've oh, yeah. never heard of Road Rage? Oh, I, look, I look. That, there was a point in my life, and the, the other part of that story is that, thank God, there were some very, very kind Nashville police officers that were right there that came and broke. I was ready to take four on, and one of the cops was like, man, I'm going to have to take you into the drunk tank. We're going to have to sober you up. And I looked at the cop, and I was like, that's going to take a long time. Oh, man. Wait, so you uh, were not driving? Oh, no, no, no. I ran were, down the car. I, I physically you, on. Oh, you on, physically ran. Oh, on fits. foot. I ran down the car. The guy rolled down his window, said, what are you going to do about it? And I spit in his face. Mm, I'm what? Pre- I'm very glad, first of all, that you went to those anger management classes. I mean, pre-anger you management. You might not be here today. Yeah. You might not be here today if you didn't get a handle on that. Also, uh, I don't remember this conversation happening on our show. Uh, Why don't I remember this? Was I off? It's been in fits on ESPN radio and. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Okay, was this fine. Not on it was, our show. It was not on our show. I was hanging out, you know, with Mike earlier for Chenang in in I Junior mean. after I did Max Kellerman this afternoon. Like I'm all what? over the place. I'm just you, you know what? cheated on me with two other time slots. Today? Yes, yeah, yeah. By the time I got to you, I just needed you to have some pasta ready. Don't wear me out. Just make dinner and let's let, dirty let, slot. <laughs> Two oh different my God. slots today. Oh man, two di- you, me and my slots. You and yours. Oh slots. my God. Well, it's been it's been good. It's been a good ride. Uh, all of our guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Anything to save me from this, uh, Sarah? Yes, uh, that was. It is alarming to me, by the way, how many people that knew me when I was twenty five now have no idea who I am as a person, and I'm really happy with that. Like, there's a, a moment for me where I'm like, I've gotten really well-centered in life. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's been a good journey. Uh, not necessarily an easy journey for Aaron Rodgers uh, as the news continues to just come out constantly on where we are with Rodgers, what's going to be the future for the Packers, and I think there's a nuanced conversation to have it, have it in all of this. Now, part of it comes because we heard from a former teammate of his, somebody that one website referred to as a golfing friend. So that means they must still be telling intimate secrets, apparently. John Kuhn, the former Packers fullback, was on the Zach Gelb show on CBS Sports Radio. And this is what he said about Aaron Rodgers and the possibility of a return. Just because he has differences 
um, with a head coach or a general manager or anybody else. Like, it doesn't necessarily affect his play and, and his professionalism. I still think it's somewhere around 70 75% that Aaron Rodgers is the starting quarterback for the Packers this year. So he hasn't ruled out a return to Green Bay is what you're telling me. Are you saying that Absolutely at all? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He is. He, I, I still believe there is an opportunity at a, at a resolution here, and I just think it, it's going to take – two men that are dug in right now and trying to meet in the middle somewhere where they're both happy. Now, the remarkable part is that in the time that we've had guests on on this, we've now heard uh, 100% chance he's coming back, a 5% chance he's coming back, now 75% chance he's coming back. The one thing I know is that I said, you know, me, my mind, I said, this is obvious, he leaked it one year later at the draft because he was angry about the way the Packers treated him on draft draft day last year. So this year, he decided he was going to leak his own sort of drama moment on draft day. Well, it turns out... The lie detector test determined that was a lie. I was wrong, Sarah. I can't say it loud enough. I was wrong. No conspiracy theories here. Uh, He did not leak it on draft day to get back at anybody, and I could not have been more wrong. Yeah, interesting uh, news that we heard from Shefty today, that this was sort of an accumulation of off-season disgruntlement. Uh, And we know that it's been years of some butting heads between Rodgers and Green Bay. And as as of yet, he still, to to Kuhn's point, showed up and played extremely well, right? In fact, it's something we've kind of talked about before the latest news that he wanted out and it felt more severe. We always said, listen, if Aaron Rodgers wants them to change their behavior, he's going to have to actually threaten more because he always shows up, right? He doesn't James Harden it and, and go on a strip club bender. He shows up on time, plays like an MVP, and then they keep making the decisions they want despite whether it pleases him or not. This feels different now because it's gotten to threat level orange where we're all actively looking for trade partners and people are guessing at the percentages that he'll stick around. But the news that Rogers and, and no one from his team and no one from the Packers planted this the day of the draft, that it was just Schefter reporting it on draft day as a result of a bunch of this information does change my perspective on it and does actually make me feel like it's possible and more likely that they will come together and manage to work something out, uh, especially when former teammates who know him are saying that, uh, Fitz, this is a clearly very complicated situation, but I think what makes it a particularly difficult thing to try to guess at is, number one, we know that if he is going to get moved, it won't be before June 1st because of financial reasons. So we've got a, a basically a month of this to deal with, the speculation. But also, <laughs> there aren't any real comps. You know, I heard... Uh, Golik Jr. and and Chine, it wasn't when you were cheating on me, it was when they were doing their show, talking to Diana Rossini about the way the 49ers handled drafting uh, Garoppolo's backup. And yes, communication was there. Yes, they seemed to handle it well. But at the same time, Garoppolo isn't owed what Aaron Rodgers is. I've heard people compare it to the way the Pats sort of unceremoniously let uh, Tom Brady go and then had to watch him go win a Super Bowl. There's some there, right? The idea that you can't let a guy go when he's that great, but they won so many with Tom Brady that it's a little bit easier as a Pats fan to to watch him walk away. They've won one Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. He's the reigning MVP. If they let him walk and Jordan Love sucks, which he very well might since he was running scout team and was inactive all last year, that is a very different situation than the Patriots being able to say, hey, this is going to be a gap year, but we gave you a ton of rings, so suck it up. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You're so right. And it leads me to, you know, when you're in this uncharted territory, when 
we've never seen anything quite like this before. And you're trying to figure out how to make peace out of it. One of another complication is that there is no team owner for the Green Bay Packers, something that we usually praise for the franchise that they're owned by the community. Right. But that makes moments like this very difficult. It's not like there's a team owner that ultimately has the final say in all of this. So it changes the structure and the way you do business. When you start thinking of all of those elements, that's why I continue to say, and I know a lot of people disagree, but I continue to say that the Packers, in my mind, are going to become dug in on this. Because if uh, heads are going to roll, any way you look at it, if Aaron Rodgers goes somewhere else and Jordan Love isn't ready, heads are going to roll. If Aaron Rodgers goes somewhere else and they have to get another quarterback in the process, heads are going to roll. Like there, there are very few situations that save jobs for the Packers. The only thing they can do, in, the, in my mind at this point, to try and save themselves is to play chicken. And if you're playing chicken against the Aaron Rodgers in this situation, that becomes really volatile. But if I, I look at it, I can't find any other easy out for the Packers. And I know talking to Mike early, earlier, he said, look, if they trade him and they get a King's ransom, in return. Well, I don't think Gutekunst will be around to see that King's ransom pay off if Jordan Love hits mm-hmm. the field and looks terrible doing it. So, so I, I, the only thing I would say, and just to jump in, is I, I don't know that he would be gone for that. I think this would be a decision. And first of all, there is no owner, to, right? There's decision making around how he keeps his job and sticks around, but he doesn't have to answer to anybody. They can say this is the direction we think is best for the team. It's not that I think that necessarily they'll be fired. It's that even if you get a massive haul for him, who's going to lead your team to a Super Bowl, right? The biggest question mark on every team is the quarterback. If you get rid of the Hall of Famer and your quarterback stinks, it doesn't matter all the other pieces you got. Yeah, and that comes back to every Broncos fan that says, well, just include Drew Locke. Like, if the Broncos are trying to desperately get a Drew, get rid of Drew Locke, that's not going to answer the situation. Right. Even if you're in Miami and you're saying, hey, we'll send you Tua, that's not any more of a proven, hey, we're going to win a Super Bowl with this guy right now. There's any quarterback that would get back in exchange would be a question mark. And I think the biggest question mark is, do they believe Jordan Love is ready? And we won't know that answer, but we'll definitely get an idea depending on how dug in they become over the next month. All right, coming up, we'll get you set for a massive night of NBA action that all has playoff implications. We'll do it with one of our favorite experts next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Relatively quiet of late on the Clippers front as everyone focuses on the Lakers, the injuries, LeBron. Is he soft? Is he weak? Uh, You'll notice we won't be having that conversation here on Spain and Fitz. Go elsewhere if you want the is LeBron soft conversation for missing some games due to injury is 11th season in the league. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going to need a minute to get off my couch to get my phone and like maybe groan in the pro. I can't scratch my head or my butt because I've done weights twice this week and I'm going to call a professional athlete soft. Yeah, it's a good idea for me. We got Lakers Clippers tonight. We're going to get into those less talked about Clippers and, of course, talk a little Lakers, too, with our guest next. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, ESPN NBA reporter Om Young Masuk. Om, let's quickly start with the Clippers. It's been relatively quiet on their front, 44-22 and two, uh, 22 on the season. How different does that team feel this year from last year? Uh, look, there's, I mean, they haven't had uh, a lot of drama, which is probably a good thing. I mean, you've got the Lakers on the other side who've gone through injuries. I mean, it feels like, uh, you know, listening to the questions that Frank Vogel was fielding yesterday from the media and even from the fans that the, the clouds and the skies are falling around the Lakers. And, of course, they're the defending champs. And the Clippers, meanwhile, look, they took down their billboards from last year where they were talking all this smack 
um, <laughs> about how they were the better team in Los Angeles, and they've just tried to focus on themselves, and they've kind of had a lot of the same, you know, uh, I would say obstacles that they had last season, which is a lot of injuries, um, which have prevented them from kind of developing the continuity and chemistry that they wanted to develop. And so Kawhi Leonard just came back now for two games after missing nine of ten with a foot injury that he may have to play with uh, for the rest of the season. They haven't had Serge Ibaka. He's been out now since, like, uh, early March. Patrick Beverly just came back. And so Ty Lue is kind of using these remaining games almost like I would say maybe a, like a training camp entering postseason to really kind of fine-tune his rotation, see who he wants to play, and develop chemistry. Um, and so that's kind of like the big thing with the Clippers right now is that they are just trying to get on the same page before going into the playoffs to avoid the same issues that they had last year in the bubble. All right, Ohm. So let's give benefit of the doubt and say most of that gets worked out and they're the best version they can realistically expect to be of themselves going into the playoffs. How good are they compared to the rest of the West? They can be really good when they're at their best. Um, they have been uh, on a historic three-point shooting pace this season. Um, their pace actually, as far as like getting up and down the floor, hasn't been good. They're a pretty slow team, but they pretty much pass the ball around until they get a o- wide-open three-point shot. When the shots aren't falling for them, I think that's kind of become the issue because then it turns into let's get Kawhi the ball, let's get Paul George the ball, and let them bail us out. And, of course, when things start to get stagnant and it's iso ball, well, then it looks a little bit like last season. But the difference is is that this year they have Ty Lue, who kind of is like their point guard. I mean, he calls out all the plays. Um, he's able to adapt on the fly, kind of like he, he searches out matchups. And, of course, the extension of the floor for him, at least the Clippers will be hoping come playoff time, will be Rajon Rondo, who Ty Lue has known since they were um, in Boston together when Ty Lue was an assistant under Doc Rivers. And hopefully that the Clippers are hoping that Rondo will not only be able to get them into offensive sets easier, will be able to kind of find spots for Kawhi and Paul George to work but I'll also be that extension of Ty Lue and provide leadership. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, talking to Ohm Young Masuk as the Lakers and Clippers face off tonight. We're just 10 days away from the end of the regular season, so all of these questions that we have will be answered fairly soon. Will teams be healthy? Will they be in the play-in or a regular playoff seed? All of that stuff gets wrapped up, and a lot of the questions about the Lakers really can't be answered until the postseason. One of them is offensively, can they keep up? We know that they're a top eight defensive efficiency team, even despite having so many of their superstars out for significant stretches. What do you make of them as an offensive team if they're healthy enough to have all their guys? Yes, yeah, Sarah, that's a great question because I talked to one Eastern Conference coach last night about the Lakers and Clippers, and he was saying that, listen, uh, my money, this coach is telling me, uh, still the best defensive team in the league are the Lakers when they're healthy. And so he was like, I'm still betting on the Lakers to come out of the West uh, and the Clippers being up there too. He was like, but the question is offense for the Lakers. Can they find enough? And certainly a lot of that has to do with LeBron James being healthy. A lot of the questions that Frank Vogel was fielding yesterday was, without LeBron James, without Dennis Schroeder, who's out through the health and safety protocols, who is going to play make for the Lakers right now? And Frank Vogel says, we've been trying to figure that out and practice whether we're going to use Anthony Davis off some pick and rolls and have him kind of be the initiator. Um, or, you know, right now it's Alex Crusoe. I mean, Taylor Horton Tucker is another guy. He's questionable for tonight with an injury. So I think once LeBron James comes back, 
and he's got to come back with a few games under his belt, not only to kind of test his, his, his body out and make sure he's okay, but also get back into a groove and have everybody get back together. I think that offense is going to be fine as long as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are healthy. So, um, with that being said, you know, the Lakers win a championship, but there's always huge expectations in L.A., and we know that LeBron's not a young version anymore. Conversely, the Clippers gave up so much to be this version of the Clippers. If neither of these teams wins the N- the NBA championship this year, where is there more sort of chaos and, and more panic? Which franchise has more panic? Oh, that's a great question. It's going to be the Clippers because the Lakers already won their championship. Yes, I get it. Uh, you know, with Laker fans and Laker Nation, they want more. They're greedy. Um, and certainly they're going to probably be on Rob Palenka's case and maybe Frank Vogel's case if they don't get back to the NBA Finals and win it all. But for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard is going to be a free agent. I'm not saying Kawhi Leonard is going to leave if they lose in the first or second round, but that's just something that the Clippers don't even want to think about because everything is based on keeping their stars, keeping them happy, making sure that they continue to contend. I still think they'll be all right because I think, you know, Kawhi Leonard at the end of the day probably doesn't want to leave. I think he's going to stay in L.A. But if they lose first round or second round, it just opens up to so many more questions so many more doubts, so much more speculation, and then we would have to wait and see what Kawhi Leonard does. And listen, Kawhi keeps his circle tight. So we don't know what he's thinking most of the time. When we talk to him, he doesn't really reveal much. So it would really be a waiting game to see what Kawhi would do in free agency if the Clippers were to get bounced early. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Om Young Masuk with us, ESPN NBA analyst. As we look ahead to tonight's Lakers-Clippers tilt 10 on TNT and the Lakers currently uh, sixth tied with Dallas and a half game up on Portland Clippers fourth in the Western Conference tied with the Nuggets when the season started I think we thought there were the obvious contenders in the West but there have been some upstarts that we thought might go away or at least cool off and that certainly hasn't been the case uh, particularly for uh, the one that I had a lot of question marks about the Phoenix Suns who have just so outperformed expectations. When you look at the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Jazz, the teams ahead of both the Clippers and Lakers, who do you think has the best shot of actually taking out either of those L.A. teams in the postseason? I would have said it was Denver uh, when Jamal Murray was healthy. And listen, I'm not taking anything away from Michael Malone and Nikola Jokic, the MVP of what the Nuggets have been able to do without Jamal Murray. And I certainly think, depending on the matchup that they get, Uh, the Denver Nuggets will be dangerous. Um, Utah, to me, though, I think I'm going to give them a little edge over Phoenix because they don't have Donovan Mitchell, and when he comes back, I think that's going to take them another level. Utah Jazz is such a well-coached team. They know their roles. Um, Rudy Gobert is this terrific defensive anchor. I think they're a slightly more well-rounded team than Phoenix, and Phoenix has been great. And, And I think Chris Paul has done an amazing job. And Devin Booker's good, but I just think I like Utah's depth and the more well-rounded team than Phoenix. And then I think Denver, look, if Denver gets matched up against the Clippers, the Clippers have had problems against Denver this season, and they kind of have no answer for Nikola Jokic. So that's why I'm saying that it might be a matchup thing for Denver. But I would think of those teams that you just mentioned, I would probably give the edge to Utah. Oh, real quick, to, I, I, I got to ask them from the other side of it. If we end up with the 76ers, I'm just going top, top seed. 76ers take on like the way you see the West. Do the 76ers have a clear path to the NBA championship that we're just not even acknowledging right now? 
Uh, well, if they're healthy, Joel Embiid's healthy, Ben Simmons, Doc Rivers has, has done a great coaching job this season. We don't know what's going to happen with Brooklyn yet. How is James Harden going to be health-wise as he comes back here late in the season? Um, how are things going to fit? Milwaukee, look, Milwaukee's looked great late of late, but Giannis, will, Giannis knows this better than anybody else. It's what they do come postseason time. Yes, Philadelphia does have a path to the NBA Finals because there is still a little uncertainty surrounding the other top teams in the Eastern Conference. But if you were to point a gun to my head, I would say I'm going to put my money on Brooklyn. We would never do that, Ohm. It's just not that serious. It's not. I just want you to know we we'll would just never, make you. Well, you just got to wager Sarah's that. house. That's it. Like you win, you <laughs> lose. Minute. It's Sarah's house. That's it. It's That's fair. Not that serious I'm, either. I live in a mansion, okay? I just live in a mansion, so I yeah. and I would never be in trouble there. <laughs> Ohm, thanks for the time. Enjoy the game tonight. Thanks, Ohm. thanks guys. Ohm Young Masuk with us here on Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer gives you multiple quote options so you can pick what's right for you. See for yourself at Progressive.com. Coming up, an angel lost his halo today. Or did he lose it a couple years ago? What's next for the future Hall of Fame? We'll get into it on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. I don't know if any of you guys were watching, but it turns out both Fitz and I were watching last night as the Cubs finished off a sweep of the Dodgers. You know the Dodgers, uh, the team that people have said will be the greatest in the history of baseball, will go on to win 118 games. Well, they better pick up the pace because it ain't looking good of late. And my Cubbies just swept them. Well, we both were watching as the... uh, Extra innings played out, and Anthony Rizzo hit a walk-off that he then ran off the field and down the stairs to avoid whatever substance Javi Baez was trying to uh, throw into his face. And uh, my buddy Fitz was watching the baseball and had a hot take. I got takes! Had a hot take as a result. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, We will get to some other baseball news, but first... I would love for Fitz to lay out this take for you that he had for me today upon arriving at our pre-show meeting. Um, Very current, very current take that Fitz has. Let's hear it. Well, first and foremost, me coming into our production meeting and saying, hey, Sarah, I got a baseball take is like (laughs) me saying, hey, I learned how to dunk a basketball today. You never think it's going to happen. But but alas, I'm sitting there last night while I'm flipping through the channels. It's the 10th inning. I'm like, oh. Cubs-Dodgers still going at it. I'm just going to watch a minute of this. I find myself mesmerized for the rest (laughs) of the game because, oh, get ready for this, baseball purists. I love starting with the runner on second base. Like, I'm all in on putting a runner at second base at the beginning of extra innings because it made every bat at bat so impactful. Like, I'm watching it go down, and I'm thinking, man, one hit is all it's going to take at this point. This whole thing's over. Like, I was mesmerized at the <laughs> matchups, the way they were going at it in extra innings because of the runner on second base. I say do it all the time. I love it. I love that you agree with me. Uh, We did talk about this on the show a couple of different times when they announced some of the rules they were carrying over from last season's shortened season. And one that I agreed with was the decision to do this because I don't want them ever to cut short the number of innings. There's a lot of people who say after a certain number of extra innings, you just end the game. It's a tire, whatever you want to do. I like weird baseball. I like when it goes deep into those 13, 14 innings. But I'm also okay with moving things along and adding to the intrigue. And what's been 
kind of crazy about a couple of these Cubs-Dodgers games in this series is oftentimes in an extra inning game, as soon as one team scores, you kind of feel like it's over. The chances of the other team answering in the bottom half are, are limited. But once you've got that runner on second, anything can happen. And a lot of these games went back and forth in extras instead of being solved by the first team that scored. Um, and I agree with your hot take. It's a little late, but I'll take I it. Mean, I'll take it whenever you want to give it to no, me. I, I had a takes. hot take. I got I takes. Hot take. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like at the end of the day, it even, I think what really surprised me watching it, and that it just shows you how much extra innings baseball I've watched over the course of the last year, in watching it, seeing the way even the, the outfield was approaching it, you know, you, you can't be over aggressive because all of a sudden somebody's going to score a run. Like, it really played into everything in extra innings. And I was watching the broadcast, which I think did a beautiful job of of sort of walking through the entire process as well. And I found myself really, really, truly mesmerized. Now, I'll be the first to admit that as somebody that doesn't necessarily love the college football overtime rules, I'm sure it's the same to a baseball purist. They don't love somebody on second base like Stosh, our producer extraordinaire, is just shaking his head. I don't think he's ever been more disgusted with any take I've ever had. Like this, <laughs> this is worse than my pie take at this point with Stosh. Wow. Nothing but, could be worse. I, I mean, it just it kept me mesmerized. I don't remember the last time I found myself watching a baseball game saying like, I can't walk away from the TV because I don't know what's going to happen with this at bat. I thought it was beautiful. Meanwhile, this comes just one day after you eliminated my Cubs from Major League Baseball Bachelor. What a shame. You could have really enjoyed their sweep again, in case any of you missed it, sweep of the Dodgers. Uh, but alas, you have elected to go elsewhere and eventually we'll find out where that journey will Watching take. Watching the Dodgers go on that date, by the way, did not help their case at all. No, like, I mean, sure didn't. I expected more. <laughs> it sure didn't. It did not give you a good first impression no. for that date. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Meanwhile, in baseball, also the news that Albert Pujols was uh, was cut by the Angels today. Um, this was uh, the kind of contract that I think the majority of people could have seen go this way. 41 years old now today. Uh, my husband has a satirical website and their headline today was most people expected Pujols to at least make it to his 50th birthday next year before <laughs> a lot of jokes about how old he exactly is. But according to everybody, he's 41 and he was sure. designated for assignment sort of for formality before he becomes a free agent for just the second time in over two decades. Uh, he'll, he'll clear waivers in three days. A 198 batting average, a 250 on base percentage, 372 slugging. Um, didn't have a lot of space to play at first, and according to the Angels' front office, wanted to regularly play first. I, I don't think that's going to happen for him. Probably more of a DH situation. Uh, but looking back, that 10-year, $240 million contract in 2011 um, obviously was one of those that's kind of an albatross and also uh, um, antiquated in baseball now. You just don't see it as often where teams are rewarding players for what they've done thus far. A lot more teams are taking big swings on young players that they expect to play well into those deals instead of honoring guys uh, after their peak, which is clearly what we saw with Pujols and the Angels. Now, he does want to keep playing, but we'll see what kind of opportunities he gets. But, you know, Sarah, you're right. The pendulum has swung on this. The question is, how will that look? Like, we won't know how some of these huge contracts to younger players will play out mm -hmm. for a long time. But there is a question of, okay, you bet on somebody a little earlier so that the end years of his contract presumably aren't as wasted as they are in this situation. But the reverse of it is, 
What if a guy's, you know, good and then sort of hits a wall? Either way, like this is one of the risks that just come with these massive baseball contracts that that last a generation. I mean, there's just there's more risk for the teams than we could ever conceptualize when we see the dollars going out. And if you're the Angels, you got to look at it and say, did we get enough out of the peak years to make it worth what we are paying now in the non-peak years? And the answer to that is probably pretty clearly no at this point. So uh, regrettable, you know, great for him to get that kind of money. But everybody will look back at this and say, ouch, for a long time. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. He does have a 10-year personal services contract that will give him an extra million a year to serve as a face for the organization. Um you know, this is this is a, a deal if he if he wants to stick around, but it sounds like he he does want to play elsewhere. Um, and you're right, the best of his career clearly came with the Cardinals. Uh, didn't really last with the Angels, um, and uh, leaves you know still is a very respected player. But one of those contracts that you look at and wonder, what if? And we all have one of those on our teams, whether it's because of a massive amount of money that essentially went down the drain with a player that didn't live up to it. Maybe it's just a bad decision. Milton Bradley signing with the Cubs stands out to me as one of those what were you thinking moments. Um, But we want to ask you, the worst player your team ever signed, and we're keeping that sort of subjective fits. Do you want it to be more specifically the worst contract your player, your team ever signed a player to, or just worst player your team ever signed? I think worst contract because that, that's okay. just, that hits harder and, and really that avoids the people who are just bad people. Yeah. Well, and then the other side of it is like, you know, as a Raiders fan, I have a lot of these, so oh, no. I've just got to figure out which one, you know, I'm going to say, uh, D'Angelo Hall uh, is going to be the move right there. Uh, he signed a $72 million contract and mm. was cut after eight games. Eight games. Oh, no. Yeah, eight games. He was paid eight million bucks for eight games. Yeah. Oh, no. It did not work Uh, out well for him with the Raiders. I remember that vividly. Mike Glennon is starting to pop into my head. Mm. Um, And I'm just seeing visions of a very long neck and a very fat wallet. That's that's what's happening for me right now. I'll have to think a little harder, though. There's plenty of options here in Chicago for contracts gone wrong. We want to get yours at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. The worst contract, your favorite Uh, team ever signed a player to we'll get to that later coming up 10 days in the nba season so many questions about the final stretch we'll bring in a friend to answer them it's coming up next on espn radio spain and fitz the podcast only 10 days remain in the nba regular season and on a night where we are stacked with matchups with playoff implications question is, who are the movers, who are the shakers, and what's it all going to mean for what we're about to see? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And I think mover and shaker, one of our favorites, ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorse. Wendy joining us on that Goodyear Hotline. Man, we appreciate your time and your insight coming into this last home stretch. Sarah and I were just looking at it, Wendy, and there are so ma- so many matchups that still have implications to seeding, particularly in the West, even going on tonight. When you look at the playoff standings, is there a team that you think is sitting right now in that 6-10 to 10 range that you think is in a really tough spot? The Knicks, the Knicks, really. Uh, I mean, they're fourth, but you know, this is this. The scheduling is so unusual. Typically, um, you would not see teams going on long road trips the last two weeks of the season. That would never happen. In fact, at one point, I remember when Larry Brown was coaching the uh, Charlotte Bobcats. He basically took on his owner, Bob Johnson, 
because he was hosting a an equestrian event at the arena, and they had to go like on a five game road trip mm. in the first week of April. And he said that's going to cost us the playoffs. Well, you look at right now, the Knicks are on a six game road trip at out west right before the end of the season. That's wild. The I believe the Pelicans who are right there in 10th, and the Spurs have backed up to them. I think they play five of their last six on the road. They're about to go on a five-game road trip. The the Blazers, now it worked out for them. They just went on like a six-game road trip. This is not normal. Normally, the league tries to prevent the swings in the schedule from from coming down and, and, and uh, affecting the end. But you look like the Knicks, like as great as they've played over the last month, and I mean, they've won 12 of 14. They have four more games on the road on this trip, and they're a half a game up on four, you know, you know, stay out of five, and they go one and three. They could come home in six or seven, depending on what happens behind them. And so it's just – it's going to be loose all the way down to the last night for these these spots. And, you know, look, some years we talk about seeding just to have something to talk about because it doesn't really matter in those years whether LeBron was going to be the three seed or the two or whatever. But this year where the play-in tournament comes into, comes into effect, the seeding matters so much more. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Brian Windhorst. Let's stay in the East and play for you what David Fisdale said to uh, Matt Berry on SportsCenter about the Sixers and the one seed. They got the two youngest stars who haven't really been battle-tested uh, enough, I don't think, and, and this will be their test. But also I think they, they're limited in small guard playmaking and guys that can break you down off the dribble and make plays when the offense goes stagnant. They can push the pace and get easy baskets for you. And I think out of all of those teams, they have the least amount of guys that can do that. And so having home court will allow them most likely to be able to be comfortable in their skin and play at their pace and play their game through MB. They also would likely avoid Brooklyn and Milwaukee until the second round. How big of a deal is it for the Sixers to hang on to the one? Yeah, I think getting the one seed in the East is is big. And, And yeah, they've been a great home team the last couple of years. But you don't want to have to beat both the, the Bucks and the Nets. I mean, that's just simple math. And look, the way the Hawks are playing, who and I think the Hawks will overtake the Knicks and get the number four seed. Uh, that's not a guarantee. But certainly, if, you know, with all due respect to Trey Young, you'd rather deal with him than Giannis. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the crazy thing about the top in the East is it's a complete clash of eras. The Sixers are playing like 90s basketball or even 70s basketball. They dumped the ball down into their giant center. I think Joel Embiid himself has had more post-up plays than 16 or 17 teams have mm. had just this year. They play old-fashioned basketball. They defend. They shoot the three, but they don't shoot the three as effectively as the other teams. And, they, and, they play, and then they defend. They dump the ball to the, to the big man. Then you look at the Nets, who are playing – like it's 2023 because they believe that defense is going to go down and that this is all going to be about how much gas you can pour on the fire. And they've made their bed. They said, listen, when they traded for James Harden, it's like, we're just going to flat out outscore you. And so the, it's, it's really just a, just, just a wager that you know, the Nets believe that they're ahead of the curve. They're setting the curve. The, the, the Sixers, based on their personnel as well, believe that they're going to play a style that's proven to work, and we'll see which one works. But I know I'd rather have home court than not in that series. So, Wendy, you just talked about the the different styles, and we always hear about playoff basketball and how much different it is when you get into a series. So in a series, who does that favor in your mind? This is the biggest question. I mean, I think there's two enormous questions that come down to what we're going to see in the playoffs. One, how is LeBron? 
is 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 this ankle injury going to preclude him from being LeBron? I think that's the number one thing to to watch in the whole playoffs. He's the reigning Finals MVP. They're the reigning champs. Secondly, are we going to see a return to some normalcy? Because these teams are not practicing. They are in some cases not shooting around. The schedule is crazy. The players are dealing with health and safety protocols. They're having to get up at 6 in the morning to come in to get COVID tests and all this kind of stuff. And so the coaches have thrown up their hands. And night after night, these teams come in with half-bleep game plans defensively, and they just, whatever. We have the craziest offensive season we've ever seen in the league. When we get to the playoffs, when there are practices, and you can actually game plan and prepare and take away the team's two or three favorite plays and put little wrinkles in, after game two that you don't do uh, this year during the regular season. Will we see things return to more of a, you know, a, a, a typical style? I don't know the answer to that. My guess is yes, but there are certain teams, the Nets especially, who are wagering that that's not going to be the way it's going to happen, that you're just going to, they're going to outgun everybody, and they might end up being right. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, talking to Brian Windhorst with 10 days remaining in the regular season for the NBA There's a handful of teams that I hate doing this, but all season long it's been, yeah, the Bucs look better. They look different. Drew Holiday is a difference maker, but now they got to do it in the postseason. Yeah, the Clippers have a different coach, and there's been some injuries, but, you know, let's see if they can build off last year, but let's see how they do in the postseason. Suns, Jazz, Nuggets, half the West, right? Which are the teams that you think have the most to lose if this season ends prematurely in the postseason? Well, the Bucks would not like to lose in the second round again. Mm-hmm. That would be rough, especially because if they do play the Nets, it's a completely different opponent. Unlike the Heat and Raptors the last two years, Giannis is way more comfortable playing against the Nets uh, because he can he can do things on offense. Where he was he was in, in a bit of a, a tough spot last couple. So you know the Bucks, you know they kind of have to grow. They they've traded uh, so much. They've traded all of their future and spent a ton of money on this team. You know, I think there's a lot on the line, obviously, for them. And when you look in the West, I want, you know, the, the, the Suns are a fascinating team because they were elevated because of Chris Paul. They've never done this before. You know, none, most of the guys in that roster have never breathed one breath in a playoff game before. But how big is their window? Because how long is Chris Paul going to be there, number one? And number two, playing at this level. And as they look around, they have to look and see that the Clippers still have some holes in their team. The Nuggets have suffered a catastrophic injury. The Lakers don't look like they're right. Yeah, the Jazz look, you know, very potent. But, you know, um, they're not a championship team. They haven't proven that yet. If you're the Suns, you know, I don't have expectations for them, but you've got a sniff opportunity. And I don't know if that can overcome their lack of inexperience. But it's possible with, with, the, with the factors that we see out there that we could have a surprise team take the West, and they could do it. And maybe there wouldn't be a surprise if they have the number one seed, but they could do it, especially if they somehow get home court throughout the uh, – you know, they catch Utah and get home court throughout the playoffs. You guys can follow them on Twitter at Windhorse ESPN. Wendy, as always, we appreciate your insight, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a good night. Brian Windhorse on Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. All right, something happened today in the NHL that has absolutely blown my mind. I'm fired up on it, but Sarah disagrees. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The National Hockey League 
has lost their dang minds, and I can't make any sense of it. I'm sorry. I just, at this point, Gary Bettman, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know how players understand what you're doing either. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel Lady Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Don't forget, you can tweet us right now. We've got it out there for you guys at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Give us the worst contract uh, your team ever signed a player to. Uh, just the one that still sits in your crawl. We'll get to the, some of those a little bit later. But, Sarah, one of the big stories that we've talked about a lot over the last couple of days has been uh, Tom Wilson of the Capitals and the punishment for his actions in a game against the Rangers resulted in a $5,000 fine, as we talked about last night. That resulted in the Rangers making a very, very, very bold statement. I mean, they did not mince any words as they took to a statement against the NHL calling the uh, t- calling Wilson's uh, acts a, quote, horrifying act of violence, and then also saying that the director of the Department of Player Safety, George Peros, should uh, has been, uh, quote, dereliction of duty, uh, and that he should he is unfit to continue in his current role. So they asked for the firing of somebody that's in charge of player safety. For that, the NHL has turned around and fined the Rangers $250,000. 250k. So the guy that actually slams somebody's head on the ice while he's laying there gets five grand, which is the equivalent of I don't know, like a lemon loaf cake slice at Starbucks to somebody that makes 61 million dollars in contracts. And then for saying something for that, the Rangers are now fined 250k. It makes no sense to me. Well, it makes sense to me, and here's why: one, they were limited in the amount that they could find the guy for slamming the head. And punching him. It was up to $5,000. Anything other than that would have to be a suspension, which many think he deserved. And I think he should have gotten because the only way to get through to these guys that are perennial offenders and repeat offenders is to overpunish, even in situations where you could argue that it wasn't deserving. A $5,000 fine for Wilson is all they could do. They are not limited in how much they can find a team. And while I understand the ire of the Rangers, to me, the difference is you now have a franchise within the league that is calling for the job of the head of player safety and development that is insulting and insinuating that he's unfit for the job. And to me, that's inevitable. You're going to get a a massive fine for that as a professional team owner who may or may not have already gotten fined. I'm in the back room for you. And I didn't say I'm in the meetings and the conversations are very interesting when you consider that we often look at the commissioner or regulatory body of a league as separate from the franchises. And in some ways they are. In some, they feel much more on a level. For instance, we look at Adam Silver and his relationship with the teams in the NBA as sort of a a symbiotic one, where every once in a while he needs to step in and punish, but most of the time they're all sort of on the same page. We see Roger Goodell as the punching bag for the owners of the NFL. We take it out on him and they they get to sort of you know, float through oftentimes not being as criticized as Goodell is for decisions that are ultimately made by all of them together. In the NHL, Gary Bettman takes a lot of hits as well. But in this case, I see, I can't believe I'm saying this, I see where Gary Bettman is coming from when a franchise damages the integrity of the entire league and one of its employees who makes important decisions by calling for their job publicly instead of potentially going behind the scenes to question the decision-making. Now, you can publicly criticize the decision, but when you take a personal shot at an employee, that's why, and and Emily Kaplan was on with us yesterday and said, based on previous fines, she was expecting them to get hit pretty big. And they did. 
All right. First of all, ownership has changed you. I mean, that that's what we've learned. <laughs> Sarah's now part of the man. I mean, that's I am what's... wearing a monocle right now. Can I you, mean, can you hear it? Oh, good Lord. Like, you've got like an engraved like pocket watch, too. That like, <laughs> you know, like things have changed for Sarah. Suddenly she orders only top shelf liquor. Like this is what happens. You know, that's right. it, it's no more. Now, now everything has to be craft beer instead of regular beer. Like, you, I don't even know you anymore. No, but I, I will say this. I understand your point that you can't come out and rip somebody. But what if that person? is specifically not doing their job in the eyes of the person that pays part of their salary. I mean, at some level, while I understand that the Department of Player Safety head, George Peros, in this situation is an employee of the league and therefore an employee of every single team, if he is not doing his job, which is keeping players safe, then at some point you're going to speak out. And, you know, right, for- but that's subjective, right? It's subjective. And again, If you're angry about this decision, criticize this decision and take your specific complaints about Peros and calling for his job behind the scenes to the people in charge. That's the line, I'm sure, for this fine being as much as it was. Not saying we disagree with this decision. This decision was wrong. They got it wrong this time. It was asking for the job of an NHL employee, their head of player safety. And if the league doesn't step up and properly find them, then they're not backing their employee and his integrity and in decision making. Yeah, but realistically, when they say dereliction of duty, I think what the Rangers are telling you is at this point, they don't care about any of the other elements of this, which would, by the way, include the fine. I mean, if I'm in fairness, if I'm going to say $5,000 is a drop in a hat to Tom Wilson, who's made $61 million, a quarter of a million dollars is not really hurting James Dolan. Like we, I mean, James Dolan is turning around saying, that's cute. That's fine. Like to that end, I kind of want the Rangers to issue another statement that says, hey, Gary, here's your quarter of a million dollars up yours. Like at this point, you've got to protect your player like the Rangers have an obligation to protect their players their stars that are not being protected by the league so while I hear you that ultimately they all work together if I'm the Rangers I don't care about Gary Bettman's feeling I get feelings I care about the players that represent my organization that are wearing my colors that are saying hey get my back because if the Rangers don't stand up and fight for theirs and they let Tom Wilson continue to get away with this then at what point what recourse does anybody have like the NHL by doing this is no different to me than than Major League Baseball saying they would find pitchers that hit batters for the for the Astros that were never suspended for cheating. At some point, you, you you're going to turn into the wild wild west, right? But Fitz, again, I, I I see your point and and the frustration and their desire to to call out a decision they didn't like. The difference is the line that you cross when you call for an employee of the league's job. It's it's just that's the difference. You aren't left with no recourse. The recourse is the same. You criticize the decision. You talk about the ways you think that Wilson has been empowered by the league by not being properly uh, held to task in previous incidents. You bring up the fact that he's a five-time previously suspended player. You bring all of this up. The line that they crossed was saying that Paris was unfit for his job and should lose it. I, that, that, to me, is where I understand the massive fine. They've done this multiple times in the past. Now, not for this much money, but the Sharks and their GM were fined 100 k years ago uh, because they criticized Rafi Torres' suspension. Back in 2011, the Kings GM was fined fifty grand for calling out a senior VP of hockey operations. You know They are willing to protect the integrity of what it looks. And here's the thing, again, and again, I hate to say that this is sort of a new perspective, but what you're what you're what we do is separate each team individually from the larger whole. And when you're within that larger whole, there is a feeling of connectedness that this violates. 
we we think of the Rangers as being different as this team and this team and this team and the and the commissioner and the league itself, the NHL as a whole. In the NHL's eyes, this is the equivalent of you know ESPN on ESPN crime, right? You're taking out a fellow employee of the league, and you as a front office need to carry yourselves differently and take these issues behind the scenes instead of publicly. And and all of that makes a lot of sense. I I, I won't take anything away from that, Sarah. I will say I think the counter in my mind is that if you're the Rangers. You care a lot more about what the people at Madison Square Garden think Agreed. than you do about what the people, you know, up, uptown in New York think at the at the league office, and that's just and that's sort why of, the hey, fine's okay, and so is their response. It's like, sort of cost of doing business at this point for the Rangers. You're right. Like sometimes maybe, you get a fine for all the right reasons, Fitz, and I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, that's a that is a that is a fair point. Look at that fair and reasonable conversation back and forth, and we didn't come to an agreement, but somehow <laughs> I feel like you're right. I don't know what just happened. All right, coming up, one NFL GM said that he'd cut unvaccinated players if it meant a return to normalcy. That is not a misprint here, and it, it impacts. Everything that we'll be seeing in that city. So we're going to bring in someone who's been covering the story and we'll discuss it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are just 10 days from the end of the NBA season, WNBA starting up, NWSL regular season, but still football always finds a way to weasel itself in, even post-draft, into our conversation. And I've been keeping my eye on Buffalo in particular, not for the obvious reasons, not for a a look at how their roster looks post-draft, expectations for another big step forward for their young quarterback and a team that's showed promise. No, it's the way they might be setting a precedent for the rest of the NFL, both as a team and a city, when it comes to post-COVID, or I guess still mid-COVID, but post-vaccinated COVID world. Joining us from the Buffalo News, Jay Skursky is here to talk about a couple of those things. And before we get to the latest comments from the team itself, a couple of weeks ago, there was news made by the idea that the, the city of Buffalo would require fans to be vaccinated to attend games. What was the response to that announcement in the area? Well, you know, I think with anything having to do with COVID, it was sort of a mixed response. I think there were right. you know plenty of people who... Uh, I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, I was just saying, right, of course. Yeah, oh, the, the menchies oh, blow yeah, up I'm, when you oh, mention it from yeah. both sides. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I apologize. Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, like I said, there were plenty of people who, you know, supported it and, and thought that, yeah, this is the way that we can return safely to watching games. Uh, you know, there were quite a few, again, you know, this is such a, uh, somehow a pandemic has become such a polarizing issue in this country who, who thought that, you know, Erie County uh, did not have, you know, that, that sort of power. And I think that is kind of the thing that's sort of still being sorted out here. You know, can Erie County uh, make that type of a rule? The bills have been pretty tight lipped on that. I don't know necessarily that they were all that pleased uh, to hear Erie County, uh, the executive Mark Poland cars come out and say that, uh, and then, you know, you heard the governor, Andrew Cuomo, here in New York sort of uh, walk that back a little bit. So I, I think it remains to be seen whether they will a- a actually enact that policy. It, it is important to point out that the where the Bills play, the stadium, is in Orchard Park, New York. That's not in downtown Buffalo. So this is an Erie County issue. The stadium is owned by Erie County. The Bills uh, have a lease to play there. So really the Bills do not have the final say on that. The NFL does not have the final say on that. That That is a county government and state government issue. So, uh, it, it, you know, I think it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, 
I, I agree with you, though. They, they Certainly they were maybe the first, at least one of the first uh, professional sports teams that I've heard float an idea like that where they could have 100% capacity with vaccinations required. Uh, but, I, I, you know, we're a long way away from that, from that becoming the official policy by September. We're talking to Buffalo News' Jay Skirsky. And with that being said, Jay, did the, did the Bills give an indication on how they would verify vaccination through this process? Uh, right now, they, that's something that I think is still being worked through. I know that there are some apps uh, available that can do that. You know, that leads into other questions. You know, the biggest one probably that, as far as I know, that has gone unanswered is what, what does that mean for children who are not yet of age to be able to be vaccinated? Where, where does that leave them? I think, again, that's why I think, you know, the announcement by Erie County was, was maybe a bit premature because obviously there are some issues there that have to be sorted out. There are others who, who cannot receive the vaccine, whether that be for medical or religious reasons, where does that leave them? Uh, again, those are all details that I feel like maybe hadn't been quite as, as worked through as, as they should have been before right. uh, that type of an announcement was made. Yeah, and I think also that Excelsior app that's common in New York, if you're a visiting fan, you know, how do they handle that for those who maybe are vaccinated but don't have the proof or don't know that in advance? So, yeah, maybe a little premature on that decision, but certainly will be interesting to see how the decision might affect other teams in terms of their handling of fans in the stadiums and their ability to get to 100% capacity. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Bitts, Spain and Bitts on ESPN Radio. Jay Skirsky of the Buffalo News joining us. We're also hearing from the a Buffalo Bills GM who um, said flat out, uh, you know, it would be an advantage to cut players who aren't vaccinated. Uh, Brandon Bean coming out and say, yeah, I would cut them. It'd be an advantage. Um, there's going to be some incentives there. I do think there are teams that are going to want to protect themselves from further outbreaks and, and other issues by having as many players and staff vaccinated as possible. But as far as I know, the NFL has not required it. And there might be some fight from the NFLPA on this, on this front, right, Jay? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd like to add some context to how that question was framed. So Brandon Bean appeared on uh, the, the team sponsored radio program yesterday and was asked a, a hypothetical question. It, basically it, it boiled down to, if there is a threshold in the NFL where a certain number of players and staff uh, have to be vaccinated for things to return to normal in terms of meetings uh, in the facility uh, being conducted uh, as they were in 2019 and, and, and before the pandemic hit, uh, no mask wearing in the facility, um, if, if there was a threshold that the team had to meet to get to that, and it was, say, one player away from being able to conduct business as usual, Versus how versus having to conduct business the way that it was done last year with the socially distanced uh, meetings and with the masks, the hypothetical question was, would you cut a player so that you reach that threshold? And he responded that, yes, he would cut a player because he felt that the meetings that the way they were run last year were not nearly as productive as they were in the past, going back to, again, 2019 and before. So it's not that he would cut any player who didn't receive the vaccine. What he was saying is that he would cut one player, though, if it meant an advantage to what to his team, what he he perceives to be an advantage. And that is conducting business as usual. So I think, you know, the, the headlines have kind of gotten out there and, you know, it said Brandon Bean is going to cut an unvaccinated player. Well, maybe one. And, and is that something for players who are at the bottom of the roster, 52, 53 on the roster to think about? I think absolutely it is. Is he saying that? Players are going to be required to be vaccinated? Absolutely not. He didn't say that. The league is not going to 
as far as, as I know, as far as we, we believe, they are not going to require that players be vaccinated. That, that will be a personal choice. That's right. But Brandon Bean has, a, has the right to make choices for his football team, too. And, it, and if he believes that, that, that reaching that threshold, and again, this is a you know, very premature conversation because we don't know, A, if, that even, that, if there is going to be any incentivizing like that by the NFL, or if there is what that number is going to be, it's possible that the Bills meet it comfortably and it's not a conversation, or it's possible that they're never going to meet it because they only have a certain number of players who have been vaccinated and they're way below the number that that's required. So there are a lot of moving parts to that conversation, but the, you know, I, again, I think that what Brandon Bean said has, has drawn a lot of attention, but I think if you parse it down to what his point was and if, and it was, I'm going to do what I think is going to make my football team better. And this is one way then, yeah, I can understand why he would, you know, why he would say that. We're talking to Jay Skarsky of the Buffalo News. And, Jay, uh, as we talk, you know, about how the team and the players come together through this entire process, many teams, players have decided not to report for offseason activities. So as the Bills try and navigate the waters here, how much conversation are they having with the players within the organization to make sure everybody's on the same page? Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, the Bills are, you know, we saw, you know, a few weeks before the draft, uh, you know, it seemed like almost every day you were seeing a, a different statement uh, from a team being released through the National Football League Players Association about players staying away from these voluntary workouts. The Bills, uh, you know, it should be noted, did not release one of those statements. They are not one of those teams. Uh, I can tell you that there are uh, you know, multiple players working out at the team facility right now during phase one of the uh, of the off-season program, I don't know the exact number. Uh, I, I know that there are still several that are, you know, that are taking advantage of being able to work out uh, from home and, and, you know, going through the the team meetings that are being conducted virtually and everything like that right now. But the Bills, uh, as an organization, uh, or I, I guess I should say, as a group of players at least, have not released any statements at all through the PA the way that other teams have to say that they were going to be staying away in mass from uh, from these these workouts which of course are voluntary uh, but have been for you know very very long time not treated really as voluntary uh, whether that be through peer pressure whether that be through incentives in contracts workout incentives you know most of the time you see really good attendance at these workouts and another another point on that is that the bills I believe are number three in the league in ter- in terms of total workout bonuses. So when Brandon Bean writes contracts, he uh, very often includes workout bonuses in that. I think that's a big reason why you're, you are going to see the Bills, uh, quite a few of them at least report, uh, they're going to want to get paid, of course. And uh, that, that is a, a number that we should keep in mind, too, when we, when we think about which teams are reporting versus maybe which ones are staying away from the team facilities. Jay Skursky of the Buffalo News. Hey, we're out of time, but I want to ask you quickly. The last we heard from one of the most prominent players, Josh Allen, was that he wasn't sure if he was going to get the vaccine. That certainly plays a part in whether or not they'll have to make any decisions about those unvaccinated players, because if he's unvaccinated, they're certainly not going to cut him. Any more from him? Anything lately? There's not been anything lately. Yeah, he's out in California. I think when he was asked that question, he had maybe only been eligible for the vaccine in California for a day or two at most. Uh, Certainly when he does report here and uh, there is some sort of a media availability, we expect that will be at some point during OTAs or or maybe by by minicamp in June, uh, that he certainly will be asked about that again. But so far, there has not been any update on that. Awesome stuff, Jay. Thanks so much for the insight. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me.
Jay Skursky with us here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat. Visit Progressive.com. Yeah, your county may be a little bit ahead of the game on some of the decisions and announcements that they made, but it will be over the next couple months that we see a variety of cities and teams start to make decisions about just how the stadiums are going to look for NFL games this year. Coming up, you guys told us the worst contract your favorite team ever gave a player. In fact, you're still telling us it feels like this list is never going to end. We're going to get to a very small percentage of the many people who have angered you next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spade, Jace Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. That sound from when Fitz was cheating on me for the second time today. Two different slots got in his uh, in his way before the show today. Uh, and that was a conversation. I, I don't that, love any of my slots as much as I love you. I appreciate that. I'm your number one slot. Thank you. <laughs> uh, there, there was a conversation being had about that person who always wants to fight in the group and whether you're that person or whether you're the person who starts fights and then expects someone to finish them for you. Um, at that point in your life, you were fight guy. Would you consider yourself now the guy who uses his mouth to get other people to fight for you, or have you stepped entirely away from the fight game? I've stepped entirely. Like, now I see it brewing, and I'm like, yep, I'm just going to leave this situation. Like, it's just nothing feels like anything good comes from it. So, you know, wow. I've become older and wiser. Like, Maturity. I'm soft. I'm soft in my, yeah, my I don't think that's soft. That's smart. That's probably that is, fair. That and smart. I, I giggle now when I drink instead of yell. It's a big difference. I, I'm, I'm a giggler <laughs> at this point. I uh, surprisingly have never been the fight gal or the person who talks and gets other people to fight. I've always been a peacemaker. I know that's very strange for someone with a mouth as big as mine, except occasionally my husband gets challenged to fights on my behalf at sporting events when I tell someone not to use like slurs or other offensive things, uh, especially with kids around. They will just look right past me and ask Brad if he wants to fight. And I'm like, well, he didn't even say anything. He's just standing there. Also, Brad's like six five. I don't know why people would want to. I mean, he's not like, you know, he's not like beefy. But I, I, mean, I don't think he's, he's someone. He's a big I would guy. Wanna, like I wouldn't. I mean, take he would him destroy on. you in a fight for well, sure. He's most people would. His I, reach is like your entire body. I, that, that's a fair. It'd be like a big brother thing where you just put the hand on top of my yes, head and I swing. One hundred percent. I will yeah. say, by the way, another spot in my evolution. Again, I'm not really proud of who I was in my twenties. If you had yelled at me, I, you know, I was the guy that was using those words and being like, no. "Hey, don't bring your kid to a stadium." Now I'm the guy that's like, "Do not be that guy." Like it's right. amazing how much yeah. transformation has happened in the last. Yeah, 10 years I don't. It's not like f bombs and stuff. I'm still like, eh, it's a little bit much, but it's more like offensive things that I'm like, let's let's stay away from that. Yeah. And I'm still ready to do that, even if people want to fight my husband over it. That's just who I am. I'm willing to stand by it. Uh, we asked you guys. The players you wish your team hadn't stood by, the, the, the team's the team's worst decisions in the history of your fandom. This, of course, and maybe this is a little harsh, but Albert Pujols was not a good decision for the Angels. They signed him after the peak of his powers. He spent most of his good years with the Cardinals and then spent a long time with the Angels, and that time ended today as they are set to release him, and he will maybe go be a DH somewhere else or maybe not. But we asked you for the worst player your team, the worst contract your team ever signed. And we have to, of course, lead with Bobby Bonilla fits. I don't know how it's possible not to lead with someone who is still being paid and hasn't played for that long. I mean, that is in and of itself. That is the thing that will always, no matter the sport, be the the line. Like you can say, hey, at least it's not Bonilla. Like that's what every GM in every sport can say. And every player is looking for the Bonilla deal. Like that, that is, it's like its own little golden card in this whole thing. You know, the Bonilla contract stands out. 
it's unfortunate because this list is so long that some of them I, I I honestly can't even remember whether the person was as bad as these fans believe them to be. Like for instance, someone's throwing Jason Hayward in here for the Cubs and he hasn't lived up to expectations, but they still won a World Series. He gave a great World Series speech. He's a great team leader. Like I think there are worse answers than that. For instance, I love Joe Kim Noah. When he was on the Bulls, I love when he clapped back at other teams and literally clapped at other teams during free throws. But when the New York Knicks gave him $80 million, when he forgot how to basketball, he was the originator of forgetting how to basketball. Sometimes he looked down and it felt like what he saw in his hands instead of a basketball was a pineapple. That's how much it looked like he didn't know where he was and what he was doing anymore. That deal is the kind that you talk about. The Knicks and Noah is what we're talking about here. Yeah, I'd also say the Washington football team with Albert Hainsworth. Like that's a good oh. one. Hundred million bucks with forty million, fifty million in guarantees. I don't remember how much, but it was a ton of money. Also, I'm amazed at how many people are sending us different uh, gift gifts that involve any <laughs> sort of uh, a cutler, and it's cutler in any no. jersey. Like it doesn't matter what jersey you put cutler in, people yeah. have decided like, that's I one. I know people don't like him. He also holds most of the Bears franchise records at quarterback. Like, right. yeah, we had bigger expectations for him. The the much worse deal is Mike Glennon. Like, oh, Cutler yeah. made a lot of money and was a starting quarterback for a while. They made the playoffs once or twice. It wasn't as much as we'd hoped for. But, like, the, the narrative around the player is the thing that gets people. It's like Alfonso Soriano. Among the Cubs deals, a lot of people point to that. And he was overpaid. He was one of those guys that was paid for the time before and not what came after. But he was actually a guy that a lot of fans like. He worked really hard. He was a good teammate. He had decent numbers. It was the expectations for him that made people so frustrated with that deal. And so I think that kind of gets in the way of people seeing whether something was truly awful or just didn't live up to what you'd hoped. I mean, you're right. Expectations skew all of this. And uh, uh, Albert tweeted us with the Saints, probably Heath Schuler. And it's a reminder, like, we've forgotten that there was an era where the Saints didn't have Drew Brees. Like, it it just, it it feels like so long that we just forget that there was a whole entire time where the laughable situation of quarterback for the Saints was something you could depend on every year. And then you had Drew Brees. Like, it, it, again, takes me to one of the things we're not focused enough on this fall is we have no idea what that team's going to look like. I mean, none. Oh, yeah. Absolutely no idea. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, this one is a good one. There's literally a whole era or a whole moment called Operation Shutdown with former pirate Derek Bell. Um, this is a, a, a line where he essentially had a, a coda to his career where he hit 173 and was released the following March. Um, didn't really want to compete for a starting job. Didn't really like how everything went down. But basically... He signed a two-year, nearly $10 million deal with the Pirates and was hitting 148 with no extra base hits in 27 spring training at-bats before he was released. Like, this is an all-timer, right? He told them in spring training he was taking their money and would never play for them. (laughs) That's not great. Also, there's a ton of baseball. You guys came through with a ton of baseball. Milton Bradley for the Cubs is up there. Miguel Cabrera, right, 35 years old, eight-year deal. He's hitting 0.98 this year with three years left on the deal. I mean, there's just... The baseball ones are I think big. baseball wins in general with this. There's a lot of baseball commentary on it. I love it. They do. Although without the cap, it is a little bit less crippling. For the owner, it is. You're still paying that, but it's a little less crippling than other sports where it prevents you from success because you can't pay anyone else. Thanks for hanging with Spain and Fitz. Freddie and Fitzsimmons are coming up. They're going to talk to Albert Pujols, also Derek Bell, and I think Milton Bradley. Um, uh, anyone wow, else? big night for them, all of them. Yeah, Bobby Knight, also big night. See ya. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.